Dark, a podcast about the CW's Riverdale that is lit only by the glisten of the candle inside of a jack-o'-lantern. I'm Alex. On this Hallow's Eve Eve, we meet the scare the real scariest day of the year, the 30th of October. <laughs> because like I didn't get a costume yet, and like, oh shit. Oh. It's time to have one. I'm Justin. I thought you were saying because it's like the anticipation of it, like like the tension when you're watching yeah. a horror movie, it's dissipated by the scare. The 31st oh, yeah. is the scare. The 30th is the tension. You're like, oh, man. Yeah, like a lot of people, oh. I, I spend every moment of Halloween absolutely terrified out of my mind. <laughs> From when I it's, wake up to the alarm wakes me up, I'm like, gah, fuck this. Scared out of my brain for 24 straight hours. Are you are your kids at the age yet where you've had to explain the difference between spooky and scary? No. And actually, I don't think I'm at that age yet. What oh, do you okay. mean? Well, what, uh, so we do that with our kids because they start off every Halloween being like, there's too much fucked up shit out there. There's skeletons wandering around. There's ghosts potty everywhere. Mouth. Your kids have a potty mouth. Yeah. They're, they're smoking at the time. I should just mention yeah. that as well. No, I get it. Yeah. They're pretty cool. <laughs> so, but, and so what I try to explain to them is like, oh, this stuff, it's just kind of spooky. You know, it's fun. Like, it's supposed to be a little ah. creepy, but not too terrifying. And then we do things like we go to Halloween Town or whatever the name of, uh, ho- uh, what is it, Scare Town? The, ho- the, co- the costume story. I don't know. Your parenting skills are <laughs> off the charts right now. Yes. Anyway, I take my kids stars. to Scare Town. <laughs> <laughs> Teach him a lesson. That sounds like a euphemism, but it's actually not. Uh, whatever you, whatever you say, man. Well, what I'll tell you what uh, this week on Riverdale, they took us to Scare Town, hardcore with several scary stories. Sex. We're going to get in. We're going to talk about them. But first, let's do a recap of everything that's gone on so far because, boy, (coughs) lots going into this episode. We can probably start with Archie Andrews. He owns a gym, which he has made into a community center with his former cellmate, now best friend, I guess, kind of. Yeah, like a sidekick. They're each other's sidekick. Yeah, I think so. It's very unclear who exactly. Uh, Monroe is the other one. He's much taller. So you'd think Archie would be the sidekick, but it might be vice versa. We're not 100% clear. Uh, But they run uh, this gym together. Their gym is in the bad part of town. And the kids in town are being taken in by a criminal named Dodger who works out of an arcade, one of the most terrifying places you can work out of. Uh, And he has been using kids to cause his crimes. Archie beat up Dodger and four other people in the previous episode with a baseball bat and stole their money. It was a very happy, very exciting time. Everybody was pretty cool with it. Uh, So that's what's going on with him. He's dating Veronica. Veronica works at Pops. And that's about all you need to know about Veronica going into this episode, I think. That's fair. Yeah. Let's move over and talk about Jughead. Jughead is starting to attend an elite prep school called Stonewall Prep. There's a bunch of students there. Uh, Actually, not that many students there. There's about five students there. Uh, Probably actually more, but he's rooming with Moose Mason, who is now called Marmaduke Mason. Uh, Moose was trying to start a new life for himself, but at the end of the last episode, some of the bullies at school revealed the truth about him, that his father was very briefly the Gargoyle King last episode, as well as the worst part, his name wasn't actually Marmaduke, which is a very cool name. It was Moose, which is a very not cool name. Oh, big difference there. Yes. And there's four students in the salon with Jughead that are in class with him. Uh, One of them is named Brett Weston Wellis. 
Wallace, excuse me, Brett Weston Wallace, he's very smarmy, seems to be Jughead's main nemesis at this point. They've really butt heads, just don't agree on literature mainly. There's Donna yeah. Sweet, who is hooking up with Moose uh, and seems to be relatively friendly with Jughead, at least that's where we left it in the last episode. And there's two other members of the class who are June and Jonathan. They're basically there to smile and agree with everything that the other folks say. That's pretty much it. Uh, there's also a teacher named Mr. Chipping who is played by Sam Witwer. He seems partially, I would say, at this point in the principal Weatherby mold, where he is kind of going to allow everything that's going on. Uh, that's very different from the new principal over at Riverdale High, Mr. Honey. Mr. Honey is played by Kerr Smith, formerly of Dawson's Creek, and he mm. is no-nonsense to the extreme. Previously, he clashed with Cheryl. Uh, he uh, didn't take any guff about anything. But the other thing that becomes important this episode that you should probably know is when he clashed with Cheryl, he wasn't afraid to amp up the stakes in a very non-professional way. Specifically, yeah. she was having a party at her own house and he called a noise complaint on her to shut down that party because he was annoyed at her. That comes into play here, specifically in a storyline involving two characters, Kevin, who was previously part of a cult. He's trying to be friends with everybody all the time now. And Reggie... And, uh, just real quick, the yes. Kevin, Kevin kidney count is lower than you'd expect. Yes. You'd expect five to six kidneys inside of Kevin. No. So turns out one. Barely one. Barely one. Uh, there's also Reggie. Another thing that I am surprised comes back in this episode, uh, but something that we dealt with in the second episode is that Reggie was being abused by his father. That got resolved when Reggie broke his father's car and they had a good long talk, seemingly, uh, but it does crop up again in this episode. Uh, Reggie, meanwhile, is single and footloose and fancy free. Yeah, he is definitely like 80s movie style, I do what I want. Yes. Uh, the other main character that you should probably know about of the core four is Betty. Betty has a new half-brother named Charles Smith who works for the FBI. They've actually been working together on FBI cases and just wrapped up one big case which was the case of The Farm, the cult run by Edgar Evernever. There was a lot of fallout from that in the last episode, including Alice Smith, uh, also known as Alice Cooper, who is Betty's mom. Uh, she was working undercover for Charles in the cult. She ended up killing Edgar and helping shut down the cult. Other folks that are in the cult include Polly Cooper, who is the sister of Betty Cooper. She was committed to Shady Farms. I Shady, want to Grove. Say. Shady, Shady Grove. Shady Grove. Shady Grove. Shady Grove Mental Facility to try to get better. That's where we left her in the, the last episode. Uh, and now, as we find out towards the beginning here, everybody in the Cooper Jones family is living happily under one roof. Yes. Pete Jones and Alice Smith are now finally together in the same house working as parents. Presumably, Betty and Jughead are both there. Jughead only on the weekends because during the week, he's at Stonewall Prep. Also, Jelly B. Jones, uh, Jughead's younger sister, is living there. Um, and unclear whether uh, Charles Smith is living there, but maybe. Yeah, uh, it's a, I feel like he's living out of some sort of FBI car or something. Yeah, probably something like that. Uh, so we'll get back to them in a second because what happens with them at the end of the last episode ties into this episode. We should also mention Cheryl and Tony. They are living – I keep messing this up, but people got very angry at me the last time. Yeah, uh, me but too. They are living in Thistle House now because Thornhill burned down? Yeah. Or is it the other way around? No, I think I think that's right. Okay. Thistle House. Uh, they are living there with Nana Rose, who is Cheryl's grandmother, and also the twins, Juniper and Dagwood. They're taking care of them. Uh, Cheryl is also taking care of the embalmed corpse of her brother, Jason Blossom, who she is yeah. talking with and hanging out with. In a surprise, very happy twist at the end of the last episode, Tony discovered her girlfriend was talking to the corpse after the brother's corpse had a rat crawl out of it. Uh, and uh, so they're going to be dealing with that, of course, this episode in a very realistic way. As yeah, she's surprisingly Cheryl. chill about it. Yes, yeah, she's very chill in about general, it. In general, it's very chill. The other thing is uh, Nana Rose looked into the fire and had a, it seemed like a dementia break. Uh, and pictured triplets there, also called Sheriff, Cheryl Penelope, uh, which is something that comes into play this episode. Uh, the last thing that we'll mention is the end of the last episode. Betty and Jughead were at home recovering after everything that went down at the farm, and there was a ding-dong at the door. 
They went over there, found a white plastic bag, and in the white plastic bag was an unmarked VHS. And that's Oof. where they pick up this episode. Now, before there, we get there, into There's it, nothing scarier than old technology. Oh, my gosh. I found some pogs the other day, and I was hiding. Wait, you said pogs? Pogs. And what... what in what way are Pogs technology? Just real quick. <laughs> they what did you use? Was that a early they cell flip. phone for you? Yeah, it's like a slap bracelet. That's also technology, right? Yeah, I guess uh, if you grew up in the Great Depression, a slap <laughs> bracelet is a real whiz bang. Uh, my favorite piece of technology is a hoop and a stick. Yeah, you're uh, yeah plugged in, as they yes. say. Sure am, sure am. Uh, now, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, but here was my general impression of the episode before we get into talking about the specific scenes, and I wanted to get your sense of it as well. I felt almost exactly when I was watching this like I was eating a bunch of candy, watching a bunch of horror movies, fell right asleep, had a nightmares about those horror movies, but they were all jumbled up. And then I woke up and I was like, yo – you got to hear about my nightmare, and that's this episode of Riverdale. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah, I think that's spot on, and I'll tell you what, it works. Like it jumping, ba- jumping back and forth between all these stories is great because you're like, oh fuck, that's right, that's happening to them. Oh no! And yeah, then, and uh, uh, the other thing that I love with all the storylines that they did here is there was analogs, <sighs> but they weren't specific analogs. Like Betty's storyline in particular, it was. When a Stranger's Calls, but it was also Halloween and also, I'm sure, several other things at the same Scream. time. Scream. Scream. Yeah. Uh, and that's great. Just like it's classic Riverdale to take everything and just throw it in a blender and see what happens. Yeah. And I love blended television. Mm. And when I want to watch a horror movie, I turn on four at once and I just tape my eyes open and see what happens. Oh, man. Real Ozymandias wall of TVs thing going on there for you, right? That's me. That's the future. Sweet. I, just wanna... set, I set up four pogs and I would just <laughs> watch them all at once, you know? Yeah. I watch Riverdale every week on a slap bracelet. Yeah. You get it. Do you, uh, how's your voice doing? Could you talk us through this? Yeah. I'll give it a go for a little bit and see what okay. we get. So uh, we get right into the action in this episode uh, where someone is, um, we, they watch the videotape and someone has been filming the house. And in yes. fact, someone has been hel- filming all of the houses in Riverdale. And this bit is totally unresolved. I I love this choice, first Me of all. Me too. It was because great. Because I spent most of the week trying to figure out, okay, what's on the videotape? It's going to be blackmail. It's going to be scenes that we've seen before on the show. And the fact that it was this very slow start to this mystery and just showing six hours of house footage, I thought was exactly what Charles says, which like the idea is to terrify you, to make you feel unsettled. And I thought that was very cool. Yeah. What if it what that, you, on the tape? What if on that tape was season one, episode one of Riverdale, the TV show? <laughs> I mean, I'd believe it. I would love that shit. Yeah, they did have a plug halfway through for Katie Keene, which I'm surprised they didn't turn to screen at some point and be like, "We know we don't have a date yet. It's gonna be it's gonna be in the winter at some point, you guys. Don't worry about it. It's yeah, coming I mean, out, Katie Keene. I'll tell you what, great clothing designer though. Great clothing designer. She's got a little bit of a ways to go. Uh, so what is this videotape storyline? What are we getting here? I uh, First of all, I think, like I said, it's exactly what Charles said. It's to unsettle everybody. It means that the entire town is in whoever this is, is sights. And I think yeah. it's just going to slowly ramp up where – I don't know if we'll immediately slow ramp up in Riverdale. Don't necessarily agree with each other, but yeah, you mean I don't it know. happens like four minutes later. Yeah, exactly. By slow ramp up, I mean the next scene. Uh, the I think we'll probably get like inside the houses next, right? And then we'll get some sort of incriminating evidence, and then it, it's got to work its way to secrets coming out and revealed and conflict that way. I would say. Yeah, I think so. And I'll tell you what, my uh, knee-jerk, shoot-from-the-hip first take, Charles. I think that's what we're supposed to think, right? Particularly at the end of the episode, just to jump way ahead to that, where he's listening in on Betty and Jughead's conversation. That, to me, was such a fascinating scene, particularly the way that Wyatt Nash played it, because he has this smile, and it seems to be a very friendly smile. It seems to be... Oh, I like the fact that they like me. That's nice. And it could just be taken as he's in the FBI. 
he's kind of checking them out the same way they're going to check him out and kind of make sure everything's up and up on them. But at the same time, he's the only one who's doing surveillance at this point. I think we got ourselves a new chick. Ooh, the new hero of Riverdale? Exactly. We got a a chick, a, a chick that's out chicking chick. What do you think the chances are that Archie watched all six hours of his front door? Because I think they're he's very like, high. He's like, something's going to happen here. I just know it. There's <laughs> me. Think, There's me. Oh, There's me. Oh, I came out. Hey, Mom, come over here. I'm in this movie. Yeah, what is this tiny picture box? That's a television, Archie. You have a show that airs uh, every week on Wednesdays. Also, everybody in town has VCRs. I buy it. It's the town with Pep. Yeah, it is the town with Pep. They also still have landlines and phones with cords and everything else. So it's all good. And Uh, Instagram. Uh, I thought it was fun that everyone got a tape and Pop got a tape of his um, him at Pops. Because he (laughs) lives at Pops and um, that's all he lives for. Where does he sleep? I think um, he surrounds himself with um, milkshakes. Uh-huh. He sleeps on a bed of milkshake, and oh, okay. he'll never Not have a more comfortable. Which would be soft, but, but milkshake—it's like a waterbed. It's like a 1950s okay. waterbed. Oh uh, yeah, I can see that. Another uh, that great piece of, of technology. Do you think he's ever like, hey, Veronica Luna, I know you uh, used to sleep in the corner of Le Bon Nuit downstairs. Now that you're not sleeping any there, there, can I sleep downstairs? Veronica's probably like, no. I feel like Pop is a lot of like, hey, Veronica, what the fuck is downstairs? I don't know what that is. Why do you go into a phone booth? Um, This is a diner. He has a lot of questions. He's not allowed in the speakeasy. There's going to be an episode where they cut back to the kitchen where Pops is working, and there's going to be a murder board up. But he's going to come to the conclusion that Veronica is super bad, and that's why she keeps going into the phone booth. 100%. He's going to be like, so why did you choose to dance to the song from Chicago? That's a question we've never resolved. Yes. How do press conferences work? We need to figure that out. So then we get another sweet scene right after that. This was a highly anticipated scene, I think, by the fandom. Yes. I certainly saw on Twitter fans flipping the F out uh, because the Cooper Joneses, they're just kind of hanging out at home. F Palace is in full effect. In full effect with one one little qualm I got to throw out there. Which is, they have, it's very cute together. She's being all flirty and being like, ooh, it's nice to date the sheriff because he illegally leaks me information. Yeah, and I make the news. And then they go to kiss, and they cut right away before they kiss, and they go to Betty. Which, mind you, that's a funny reaction. Her just eating her waffles and be like, oh my god, mom and dad, shut up. But... We've waited this long. Why didn't we get an F Palace kiss? You can't overdo it on the first scene back. Yeah. You know, you got to ease into it. Otherwise, uh, everyone would lose their minds. Mm. Do you think just the next episode is going to be 42 minutes of nonstop kissing? Yep. A lot of tongue close ups, which is my favorite way to see a kiss. Uh, So Charles is um, officially in town to help solve local crimes. The FBI has opened up a branch office in Riverdale, which makes sense. It is the crime capital of North America. Absolutely. And great to have him there. Yeah. I I didn't have any further comments about Charles Smith. I'm sorry about that. No, you have nothing more. He seems like an important character, Alex. You should do some uh, hard thinking about him. Okay. His hair is well coiffed. When he doesn't look much like FP. Okay. What? Why is that a good thing? That's uh, not a good thing. It's just a thing. Okay. Um, Suspicious. Yeah. No, I don't know. Uh, he later on, he comes by with some pizza, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of pizza in that box. I wonder if he ate a bunch of it on the way over. Very. That's like a big clue that he's a sociopath. Yes, Absolutely. Walking and eating pizza out of the box, yeah. suspect. Now, uh, then we move on uh, to uh, Tony, who is totally chill with Jason's corpse still, and until they decide, like, hey, let's bury him finally. Should we? I think we could probably, with few exceptions, they don't really cross over. So I think we can kind of talk about each storyline individually from this point on. Sure, if that works. Yeah. So let's stick with Tony and Cheryl, which. 
I, I got to tell you, I'm not 100% on board with this storyline, to put it politely, uh, but Vanessa Morgan's reactions throughout here saved it for me. Yeah. Uh, she's playing uh, some great straight man uh, throughout this whole storyline where she's like, yeah, okay, this doll has the uh, ghost of a third triplet that we knew nothing about um, until today, and we're just fine with having it around. Yeah. So the overall storyline is, uh, uh, like like you kind of touched on, um, Cheryl wants to keep Jason around. She agrees to get rid of him. Tony has a very funny line about like, okay, let's get the shovels <laughs> just immediately. No yeah. delay. They bury Jason again on the grounds and immediately this evil doll shows up in his wheelchair. Nana Rose says that the doll isn't Jason. It's Julian who later yes. on during a seance that they have because Cheryl thinks the house is haunted. Nana Rose reveals that while in the womb, there was actually a third baby who Cheryl ate, essentially. And this is an actual thing yeah, that happens. absorbed. Absorbed. This yeah. is an actual thing that happens. It's called vanishing baby syndrome, uh, which is a very nice way of putting it. Uh, but it's basically like when you have twins, usually, and one of them is a miscarriage, the other twin may absorb it, essentially, for food. Uh, so it's not... Uh, ridiculous thing. Certainly the way that they describe it is ridiculous, but God is what it is. Uh, yeah, that is uh, the most normal thing about the scene because you have Nana Rose who just is literally spouting weird shit nonstop. Yes. That's like her literal job in this show <laughs> is just to be like, what did you say? Nana, say something crazy. And then she does. <laughs> my feet are my ears now. Yeah. So it's a she, great, it's a they, great character. They, it is a great character. I love her. Uh, she ends up giving that information. Tony does not believe it. She's like, yo, you guys are lying to me. You're straight up lying to me. This is all ridiculous. Uh, and then ultimately they throw out the doll. If Tony will agree to get Jason back in the house, Jason looking worse than ever in one of the later scenes, uh, yeah. Tony comes in with the doll that is turned up again it is like, Cheryl, I swear to God, stop doing this with the doll. They have the shot of the Jason corpse statue, whatever it is in the background. His neck is like stretched at a horrible angle. It's horrifying. Yeah. Uh, and so it ends up being that Cheryl says, yes, I was gaslighting you. Very sorry about that. But. Uh, I did not bring that doll back into the house, and I think there is a actual haunting going on at Thistle House right now. Yeah, I mean, they're playing a game of chicken between an actual corpse and a haunted doll. Yes. And that is a continuing storyline in right. this show. It's not finishing up this episode. It's still going to happen. And I mean, I got to say, that the Julian character, uh, whether it's a doll or an actual person that we may meet or... It feels like something that is going to be a thing. Yeah, so Julian is in the comics, or at the very least, he's in the Blossom 666 comic that was recently published by Archie Comics. So that's at least partially yeah. what they're pulling on. And uh, we have the episode Hereditary is coming up. <coughs> maybe tying into that one, maybe not. Uh, but Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa, the showrunner, posted a teaser showing off Cheryl and saying she's a chimera. And it, it was... a picture of Madeline Petch superimposed on another picture of Madeline Petch wearing, I think, the sailor costume. So I don't know if mm. she's going to take on the Julian personality or something like that. Uh, this is bonkers. This is all bonkers. Uh, I'll ask you a question. Pete and I talked about this a little bit on the last episode. What do you think Tony should be doing in this situation? Um, I mean, I think she's doing the best she can. She loves Cheryl. She doesn't want to, like, get her, uh, make her an outcast for keeping the corpse around. I think she's just sort of slow playing the idea of let's bury this rat-infested corpse. <laughs> right. It's got a smell, right? Constantly? Yeah, it can't be good. Yeah, between the corpse, which is, granted, probably the worst of the smelly things, two babies that are pooping all the time, and Nana Rose, right, who is probably pooping all the time. There's yeah, a, she looks like a real pooper. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of smells going on in Thistle House. That's all I'm saying. 
Can you imagine a worse situation than having a Ouija board out with Nana Rose and a haunted doll and a corpse that you recently buried? That's like literally a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I thought you were going to say that's like love. That's love. Yeah. I mean, that's Tony. Tony puts up with a lot of shit. Oh, my God. I, I love Cheryl. I love Tony. This would be a little much for me. This would be, I think, this episode would be the point where it would be like, Cheryl, and in this scenario, I'm Tony. Cheryl, I love you. I'm going to go to a hotel or something, I think, for a little bit. Uh, maybe we're going to have a therapist come in 15 times a week or something like that. You got to talk to somebody yeah. who's not your demented grandmother or two babies. Just, Just a thought. But she sticks around for the um, the great costuming, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy. Perfect. They get all dressed up and then immediately start making out. It seems like a real waste of great, great work. It, uh, you're saying the costumes that they didn't... Yeah, yeah, do, yeah. ...do anything with them? Well, oh, wait, what are you saying? You're saying they were, it was like uh, some sort of a supervillain play? No, I, I'm saying I was surprised that they got all dressed up seemingly for a night uh, with two babies and an old lady at a corpse. Yeah. Where I was like, go to a Halloween party at least. You guys look good. Oh, the ultimate costume is slowly getting older. <laughs> Think yeah, about that. You got those wrinkles. Exactly. Ooh, and the skin. real horror is they don't come off. So that's Cheryl and Tony. Let's move on. You want to talk about Jughead's storyline? Uh, yeah, so Jughead is having his um, classic meetup with his um, brain trust over at uh, the school, the sort of Harry Potter-esque school that we find him in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we find out that Jughead loves Lovecraft. Right. Uh, not a huge surprise. Um, we learn about the Stonewall Four, which is uh, our vanished students that happen over the course of the history of the school. Um and uh, this feels like it's something that will just be instantly resolved in this episode. Um, the Stonewall Four, that is. Um, he, they, he's drugged and then thrown into a coffin. Yeah. Uh, so he's thrown into a coffin. He thinks he's buried alive. I will, just to jump back a second, I appreciate the fact that they're at an elite prep school. And their very pretentious choices are H.P. Lovecraft and The Raven. Yeah, that's the most basic things you guys could do, which is fine. I guess it's fine. It's also weird that he chose the Raven and not the cask of Amontillado and then proceeded to entomb him. Well, I mean, he did say that. I yeah. like that Jughead insults him by saying the Raven. And he's like, actually, I like the next most popular story from Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Um, so he does get entombed, he does get buried, and most of the episode, Jughead is slowly going insane inside of this coffin. Uh, it's interesting because the way that they cut together the promos, we certainly thought that this was connected to what happens at the end of the episode and what we've been teasing with the flash forward, but clearly it's not. It's a totally different thing. No. Uh, and I think you could have seen this twist coming, but I like how they played it out anyway, where it turns out he's not buried alive at all. He's in fact in the middle of the classroom. Mr. Chipping gets about, uh, swears that he knew nothing about this. And the other four students say, now you're one of us. You've been initiated. You've gone through the initiation, right? Uh, And Jug is like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Uh, And Brett Weston Wallace says, well, then maybe you could just leave. Jughead thinks there's a little bit more to it, and particularly when he gets back to his room and he finds Moose is missing, completely gone. So what he's wondering about is, did they use the opportunity of him being buried to clear Moose out there and drive him out of the school, or is something more nefarious going on? And I think something more nefarious, right? Yeah, because why are they targeting Moose so hard? He just, because his father was the... um, the uh, Gargoyle King for like five minutes. Like, why do they need to get rid of him? There's no real reason, I don't think. Yeah. No, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm not sure unless there's like a whole sacrificial thing going on or something like that. There's a weird moment with Mr. Chipping where he's in his office. He's talking to Jughead. He's telling him about the Stonewall 4, which as far as we know, doesn't actually exist. 
uh, and he's blowing out these candles and there's smoke everywhere from the candles, which again, seemed very ritualistic to me. Yeah. Do you think we're going to get a sort of satanic conspiracy cult that has been operating out of this school? I think so. I think that's probably the most straightforward in Riverdale terms thing that could happen is secret underground chambers under the school and sacrifices and whatever else. And maybe that plays into the idea of why Jughead is, um, we, uh, to give away the very last scene, um, the FP and Betty are in the coroner's office and they reveal Jughead dead. Yeah. Um, and it's actually his, his face there. Maybe that's it. They're faking his death so that he can avoid being made a sacrifice in this cult. Yeah, I mean, that's my guess, too. Certainly there's a lot of information we need to fill in there, but it seems like the sort of thing that everything they're doing, including the fire where they burn his beanie and him being dead on the slab, part of it is just (laughs) the TV show essentially feeding this information to be like, Oh, you're not sure if he's dead from the beanie scene? Well, here's his dead body, viewers. He's 100% yeah. definitely dead. This isn't a Glenn situation. This isn't a Jon Snow situation. He's 100% dead before they pull it out. The is sort of uh, not to set you up for something, but it's like in The Prestige, right? Are you talking about um, the movie The Prestige? Yes, the movie The Prestige. So this is the second part, which is yes, the... And, uh, I, I forget. What is the third part? <laughs> is it the prestige? <laughs> yes. The third part is the prestige. Yeah. Where so we're going to get magic. Yes. We're in the turn now and we're going to get the prestige. The, the, the prestige. Yes. Yay. Uh, so that's Jughead. Uh, that ties into Betty at the end of her storyline. So we could probably jump back to her because they have a nice conversation about everything that's gone on before we end the uh, episode. Uh, But Betty is basically, she's hanging out at home. She's waiting for Jughead. She wants to have a night watching scary movies. One thing that I thought was great here is we haven't seen her hang out with Jellybean at all. And they have classic sibling rivalry stuff going on. So much fun. Yeah. No, and Jellybean's an asshole. (laughs) She's a horrible asshole. That was horrible. She, uh... She calls up Betty and is like, oh, what are you supposed to be dressed as? Betty's like, Laurie Strode for the Halloween movie. She's like, I don't know what that is. While she's sitting there dressed in a Rosie the Riveter costume. Yeah. I was like, come on. Hey. Chill chill out, Julie. That's the internet, man. Yeah. Then she says, I'm going to go upstairs and play Minecraft. Uh, and Betty starts getting disturbing phone calls. Yes. Well, she there's some trick-or-treaters right. that she sees earlier. And she sees some kids at school dressed as the Gargoyle King and um, the Black Hood. Which is pretty fucked Not up, cool. right? Not cool. That's fucked up, yeah. yeah. That would be like... But it, in that town, in that town, great costume. Is it, though? Because I was trying to think of an equivalent, and it's kind of like if you were in New York and you saw a kid dressed as Jeffrey Epstein walking around town on Halloween. Interesting. Or like Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. Any of history's greatest monsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Several Nosferatu's wandering the streets. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, Betty sees this. She's very thrown by it. And uh, she sees trick-or-treaters also come in with the same thing. And she ultimately starts getting these calls, which are seemingly for the Black Hood. The Black Hood knows some information about her that he wouldn't necessarily know otherwise. He says, it's your father. You saw what I wanted you to see. Uh, and then Charles Smith shows up with the pizza and decides to help her by illegally wiretapping her phone, which, again, yeah. very loose definition of what the FBI does on this show. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's weird. The whole Charles FBI thing is is suspect. It is, except they already had one fa- fake FBI agent, so it would be weird if they go back again. You know, but all the signs point to him being a fake FBI agent. He creates a junior FBI department, which cannot exist. It does not exist. I checked on it and it doesn't exist. There's a junior FBI training program, quote unquote. But that's like for seven year olds where the FBI comes into school is like, guess what? You're the FBI now for an hour. And they're like, yay. Which unless Betty's going to do that. Maybe that's what he's offering. Maybe. Um, did you already say how Jellybean faked her death? And no, I didn't. it was legit. I didn't. 
Um, this is in the middle of Betty getting all these f- phone calls. Uh, Jellybean, very well done, fakes her death. Mm-hmm. And just to scare her. And that's right before Charles shows up with his half-eaten pizza and declares himself the new chick. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so they figure out, they trace the call. Uh, Betty, who has excellent Laurie Strode hair the entire episode, uh, ends up keeping this black hood on the line until they figure out it's not Hal Cooper resurrected at all. It's actually her sister, Polly Cooper, who is faking the black hood voice from the psychiatric institution. Shady Grove. Shady Grove. Uh, and we get the best line of the episode. I'm forgetting exactly yes. how it goes. Uh, but they trick Polly into getting on the phone by telling her it's Edgar, who I guess she doesn't know is dead. Doesn't seem that way. And she goes, Edgar, thank you for calling me. Uh, what's going on? Or is it, I can't believe it's you, Edgar. Yeah. And Betty goes, no, bitch, it's your sister. <laughs> Which is great. So awesome. So good. Uh, such a funny line. Uh, and Polly is stabbering. It was like, what? I, what? No, it wasn't me. What are you talking about? Betty shuts her down. Poor Polly. I feel so bad for her. She's done so much horrible stuff. But at the same time, it's like, ah, I just want her to get better. Just want her yeah, to be that's okay. nice. Uh, but Betty wraps that up. She has a nice conversation with Charles about joining the junior FBI program, which is when she talks to Jughead about at the end of the episode, she tells him, I think he's on the level. And at the same moment, he's listening into their conversation, which is pretty messed up. And he has that little wry smile that we know is bad news. Yeah. Uh, Veronica's storyline. We could probably mention that. Yeah. Um, Veronica, well, she briefly, um, Archie's dealing with his usual shit, and she <laughs> suggests that they have a party because her solution for everything is like, we should have a party at that scary place. Yes. Uh, but she suggests uh, that to deal, instead of taking Dodger head on, have all the kids come to the community center for a party. Uh, and that's what they do. It's also crazy to me that of the storylines, and I don't know if you agree with this, Archie's storyline is the most reasonable one this episode. I think. Yes. Which is bonkers. Uh, Because Veronica's storyline very shortly is with Archie out, she's at Pops, she's working. A guy comes in, is like, hey, I've been driving all night. I'm going to see my family. I'm really hungry and I just need some coffee. I know he just closed. Can I get uh, something to eat and coffee? And she's like, you know what? That sounds great. Come in. He shows her a picture of her family, uh, his family. He gets gets him some pie and burgers. Uh, and on the news, which very old timey news program, which I think was Alice, yes. but I couldn't quite tell. But it's like her sitting yeah. in the middle of a large desk with a microphone in front of her. Hilarious. Uh, very funny. They explained that there is a serial killer on the loose called the Family Man, of course, based on the classic Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, and he yes. presents his family. Sometimes known as the family is the family guy. Oh, was that the family guy? Yeah, I think that was meant to be Peter Griffin from Family Guy. Oh, okay. Ah, ah. That's why yeah. he talked like that. He was like, ah, story. And he had a really round, like, testicle chin. Yeah, that's very funny stuff. Uh, so Veronica finds out that he is the serial killer. He realizes that she realizes her, chases her into Bula Bandui, where she very quickly makes a scorpion ball. Uh, and then <laughs> yeah, which was... Hilarious, crazy, hilarious. Crazy. What a crazy way to win. Yes, crazy way to win. Uh, he has a lighter, so she takes the scorpion ball, she's standing on top of the bar, throws it on him, <laughs> sets him on fire, and then I believe kick, jumps off the bar and kicks him after that or hits him with a chair. Yeah, and she gets the fuck out of there. Yeah, she gets the fuck out of there, and clearly he's caught slash on fire slash sets Laban Nui and pops on fire after that. But Archie is very proud of her for being a badass. Uh, and yeah, a couple, a couple things on that. So everyone in this episode has an old-timey lighter, which right. is huge. Um, secondarily, though, um, he escaped from Shady Grove, the same place where Polly is. Yes. So is that the Arkham Asylum of Riverdale? It feels like a lot of mentions of Shady Grove. It feels like that's going to become a place in this season of Riverdale. Uh, I think, I mean, it could, you could be right. I'm forgetting the name of it. I'm going to try to look it up right now. Uh, Is it 
the asylum in Halloween. That's what I think they were referencing here, because also the title cards throughout the episode have day before Halloween, day after Halloween, which also yes. seem from the movie Halloween. Um, hold on. I'm going to look up Halloween Michael Myers, because also his name was a M.M. name. I'm blanking on exactly what it was. Uh, but I think that's what they're referencing. I mean, again, maybe, maybe we're going to see more appearances. I can't find this for whatever reason. I'm sure somebody can tell us online. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't see it so far in my, uh, searches. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. That would be kind of interesting. There's a lot of stuff going on in this season. If so, if we've got potentially evil prep school, evil videotapes, and evil insane asylum that's more than last season even uh yes but there's this show is not shy about juggling multiple ideas yes that is true uh and then there's archie's storyline the shockingly reasonable storyline that we should probably talk about uh so archie is having a party at the community center we get a katie keen reference because Katie Keene yep. makes the costumes for Monroe and for Archie. They are straight out of the Archie comics. They are Pure Heart, the Powerful, and the Shield. Very cool. Very cool. They get dressed as that. We get a little, we get a little Werewolves of London in the background, um, which uh, they later announced there's going to be a, a playlist for all the music from this episode of yeah. Tomorrow, which I thought was very cool. That is very cool. I love that because it's... Uh, it's Blake Neely and Sherry Chung that do all the music for the show together, and their score is so good, and they don't spend a lot of time on it. Like, we get to hear the covers, but not the stuff that they do, like, for this or the Midnight Club, which was all these synth 80s-esque things. Uh, it's fun. I'm excited to listen to that. Yeah. Uh, so Archie is at the yeah. club. There is a kid there who is working for Dodger. He brought out a switchblade. Archie wants to take the switchblade, at which point Dodger comes in. They have... And uh, Dodger's the guy that Archie beat up right. um, last episode, or two episodes ago, maybe. Yeah, and Dodger naturally immediately recognizes him because Archie is terrible at disguises. Yes, not a great um, master of disguise. No, not a real chameleon. He's no pistachio disguise. Good. That's a reference that people are dying to Google. (laughs) Uh, So he uh, kicks Dodger out of there, but Dodger doesn't leave. He still is hanging out outside of the community center. Uh, They are about to have a fight, and then Dodger reveals not only does he have extremely low-hanging pants, but he also has a gun in said pants. Uh, And Archie backs off a little bit, and decides instead to make the right decision for once. He calls yeah, he, chilled. he calls the sheriff. He chilled out, yeah. Yeah, which is great. I love that. Uh, but then it doesn't work out anyway because the kid gets shot by FP instead, but Dodger does get scared away. Uh, I think I think that's how we leave it. Oh, interesting. I didn't... FP shot the kid? Yeah, I think so, right? Oh, I didn't, I didn't think that, but maybe I missed that. Yeah, I thought so. Um, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of action going on. A lot of gunshots. Uh, Archie and Eddie are in the hospital, and he's like, hey, this is my life. In sort of a just highly dramatic scene. Yeah. Eddie's like, what am I going to do? And Archie like is basically just stressed out. Yeah. It's crazy that while Veronica is setting a serial killer on fire and pops, uh, Archie is in the middle of dangerous minds or something like that. Yeah. But I love the scene after that with Archie and Veronica just catching up about their both near murders from the night before. Yes. There's also a great line that Betty has in the episode about that where I'm forgetting exactly what she says, but she's talking to Charles and she's like, I I wish I could say that this isn't par for the course here at Riverdale, but it kind of is. Maybe this was yeah. a little more intense than usual, but, you know, this is how Halloween works. Yeah, I love that they're really taking ownership of just how Ouija board batshit crazy this town is. <laughs> yeah, listen, man, if you if you haven't hung out with your brother's corpse, try it. That's all I'm saying. I mean, we all have a corpse at home, but it's weird that it's her brother. Yes, exactly. Mine is named Bernie, which is pretty funny, I think. Yeah, mine's just doesn't have a name. It's just a fun little corpse that yeah, we can get just, out and play with the kids. Just a big corpse full of mice. 
Uh, we, I mean, we should talk about Reggie's has yes, sort we of should. Uh, a strong storyline, sort of more of a subplot, I guess. Um, he's feeling great at the top of the episode, uh, and then he, since he's feeling great, he decides to take Kevin and bust up the uh, Principal Honey's office. Yeah. Uh, uh, so they go in. They, classic Reggie mistake. They put Silly String and TP all over the office. Kevin's like, are you sure it's okay? And Reggie's like, yeah, man, I told you. I looked in the parking lot. There's no cars. At which point, Mr. Honey works <laughs> right in. Says, Reggie, you stay here. Goes to talk to Kevin. Kevin breaks immediately. Instantly. 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 No hesitation. I guess guess maybe one of the organs that got taken out of Kevin was the loyalty organ, because that shit was gone. Oh, man. You're taking it to Kevin this episode. Burn. Uh, Burn. Just like Mr. Honey, who then dismisses him, has a very weird moment where he just sits in the classroom all by himself, totally still. Uh, And then Mr. Honey goes back in, talks to Reggie, and has this conversation to him that I think you can read as tough love but sympathetic. Yeah. Where he tells him, listen, your your father hits you, and that's why you're doing this. You try to be funny. You try to be the clown so that you can hide that pain that you're feeling. But ultimately, everybody is laughing at you, not with you. And Reggie's like, wow, you really saw inside of my soul. And then there's a very nice line where they say, can we walk out together? Which was yeah, great, great line. Can we put this behind us? Can we walk out together? And then they get out there and clearly Mr. Honey has trashed Reggie's car. Yeah. Which is. Uh, And this is after he made Reggie clean up his whole office. Yes. And Reggie realizes it immediately as well to his credit uh, but, oh, my God, Mr. Huddy, I love this character. I love it. I mean, this was, this was maybe the most interesting storyline of all of them because it was so weird and different than uh, – it didn't seem to be striking on any reference. It was just, like, all character-driven. And the fact that we have this mentor who's, like, trying to take Reggie under his wing and be like, let me help you, let me make you a better kid, and then he also bullies the shit out of him by smashing his car is pretty wild. <laughs> Yeah, usually what you get with these sort of things is you get the tough love principal who secretly has a heart of gold. I don't get that from Mr. Honey at all. No, he has a he has a heart of ants. Yeah, wasps, bees, probably. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I love it. I will. Yeah, I I think it's great, and I do think uh, Mr. Honey will be revealed as some sort of. Um, you ever see the movie Falling Down? Or these type of movies where it's like a guy who just like snaps and then like goes on a rampage. It feels like Mr. Honey maybe snapped in a neighboring school district Mm -hmm. and has showed up here to wreck shit. Yeah, I can see that. He's also, which I'm very excited about, he's going to be there for a good long while. I thought he'd be the sort of character that would be killed off in the Halloween episode or something. Uh, But actually, he's going to be around at least until the 10th episode or so, which is great. Uh, So that's that. Before we go, though, because we did tape this after the episode airs, we did get a bunch of questions and theories from you all online. So I'm going to read through a bunch of them now. I'm going to imagine without having vetted them in advance, the large majority of them are going to be, is Jughead dead? Uh, But the first one I'll read for you. This is clearly specifically for you uh, from Sarah without an H. I guess killing off Jughead is the only way it makes sense to have Barchi happen. I mean, it's not, that's not wrong. <laughs> and that's a fine way to find the path to true love. Yeah, it's, you gotta, you gotta break some eggs to get a love omelet and it's time for um, Barchi to shine. Yeah. It's not going to happen, but I appreciate you feeling that way. Uh, this is also you from bastard. Sarah without an H. Uh, so Jellybean faked her death to Betty tonight. Foreshadow maybe of Big Brother later this season doing the same, she said with hope in her eyes. Uh, I think that's pretty apt, actually. Yeah, I think that's very astute. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I, I do think Jughead it is runs in the family. There's no way they're, yeah, there's no way they're killing off Jughead. Well, and also the grandfather faked his death. Um, where right. he left, and everyone thinks he's dead. So there's a lot of uh, dead, fake dead in the Jones family. Classic Jones family move. 
Uh, this is from Darlene Depty. Uh, Hiram sent Mr. Honey to divide all the kids and break them down psychologically. The prep school is part of that plan. Penelope is haunting Thistle House. Charles is seeking revenge. I don't know why that crazy killer showed up at Pops. Start off with the last one. Because it was a crazy thing to happen. I don't think we'll see him again. He's just horribly burnt now. Uh, but he Yeah, was he's gone. Uh, maybe they're going to serve him. They're going to make him into burgers. I would not be surprised. Uh, nah, I mean, he's think- a great corpse to use to, as uh, Jugheads eventually <laughs> yeah. down the road. Ooh. Uh, what do you think about the rest of the stuff, though? Is this all part of a big plan from Hiram? And is Penelope haunting Thistle House? I mean, I think those are both great theories. The idea that Hiram is now getting his revenge on the the next generation because they screwed up all of his plans. He he is the big bad of this show so far. Like every other villain has been dispensed with, he's the maintained villain. So I don't think he's going to be just totally dismissed this season. Um, and also he had the cabal, uh, the League of Extraordinary uh, Riverdaleites um, that were out there trying to do bad, and this could be a great example of them still working together. This one is from Sam FIFA Brit. When will Pete learn to accept that Barchi is the one true ship? This is our third co-host who isn't here this week because he's actually out exploring that right now. I told him not to do it, but he is on a journey of the soul at the current moment. Yeah, he's taking a bunch of ayahuasca um, with a bunch of uh, specifically Betty and Archie uh, comic books in front of him, and we're going to see what happens. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to read three in a row. This is from Kiki... EW and Emma Volp. What were your guys' first reactions to the flash forward? Is Jughead going to die this season? Do you think Jughead is dead? Uh, So we did talk about this a little bit, Um, but uh, any additional thoughts about it? Any additional thoughts about that shot? Because it is, it's Betty, it's FP at the coroner's office. We didn't talk about the scene, but uh, Betty and Jughead are talking and Jughead says, you know, if I was ever actually missing, you'd always find me. And she says, of course I would, Juggy. Uh, and then we flash forward to them seeing his dead body. Um, again, I don't think he's going to die. I I loved how they did that flash forward because it did yeah, feel it different to me than other ways they've done fake out deaths on television so far. It felt like a smarter way of doing it. Yeah, and... I'm curious because we we sort of, I think, strongly believe that he's not going to be dead. He'll be alive. But to what end? Will he then get his whatever revenge, whoever is he's faking his death to avoid? Does he come back at the end of the season and get his revenge along with the rest of the gang? Does he come back and he's like, well, I guess I'm single now because now that Archie and Betty are together, I have no role in this romantic situation. Mm-hmm. Like that makes sense to me. <laughs> it would be a long way to go to ghost his girlfriend. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, well, if you can't break up with somebody, fake your death. <laughs> That's what I always do. This is from Biscuits. Okay, so I'm hoping that he faked his death due to insert various people in storylines. And maybe Betty and FP know because the reactions are not very emotional. Betty in 321. Side note, I think the showrunners know how horrible the show would get if Jughead was dead. I think that's the biggest thing uh, that I, I'd mentioned about this. And the main reason that I don't think he's dead is unlike a lot of shows, uh, Riverdale is very aware of the iconography they have here with Betty and Archie and Jughead and Veronica. And they're yeah. not, they're not going to go away. They're not going to get rid of them. No, I think you can lose Jughead and just promote one of the other characters to take his spot. Like Eddie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Eddie is one of my favorite characters. Or maybe Monroe could be the new Jughead. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. He's only... There's a lot of people on the JV squad (laughs) ready to take their shot. Yeah, that's just not how this show works. Uh, It is kind of fascinating to think about it that way, though. Uh, From Michaela Taylor, why is Cheryl Blossom eating her twin in the womb? The most Riverdale thing to happen, and nobody was shocked anymore. Laughing emoji, laughing emoji. Also, Charles is trying to get close to Betty to figure out what's going on when he is, in fact, what's going on. He damn well sent those tapes. I know it. Yes. I think that's our main theory right now, right? I think so. I mean, as far as eating the twin, I'd be surprised. The real question is, which one of these Riverdale characters didn't eat their twin in the womb? Yeah, <laughs> most of them, I think. I think there's going to be a lot of womb twin meals that we're going to learn about over the course of this season. Uh, this is from Kimby73. What do you think happened to the killer in the speakeasy? Are we going to have another tall boy situation? 
If by tall boy situation you mean stick his body under a bed and then a bunch of teenagers fuck above him, yes. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me of one of my favorite characters. The sex bunker is gone. <laughs> Are we ever going to get the sex bunker back? I sex know. bunker could replace, sex bunker could easily replace Jughead. Yeah, where is everybody having sex now? Is it just the Pembroke? Just in their beds now. Uh, boring. boring. Find a new, find, have fucking a trash can, kids. Uh, yeah. Chelsea Nicole. Great advice from Alex. <laughs> Thank you. I was uh, inspired by my true love, Oscar the Grouch. Chelsea Nicole says, um, where have the serpents been? I miss them. This is a good question. The serpents, which were such a big part of the previous three seasons, completely off screen <coughs> this half season so far. What do you think is going on with them? I think, I mean, Jughead just is logistically and technically he's moved on. He's moved on to this new life that he's always wanted. We're surrounded by uh, the literati or Mm -hmm. these four other students anyway. Um, H.P. Lovecraft. uh, I think we will see them again. I do think we're going to get Jughead turning his back on the school eventually to escape whatever uh, tragedy is about to befall him. And he will bring back the serpents. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense as well. And I actually appreciate keeping them off screen for a while. We've done so many stories with them that it started to feel less like a high school show and more like a gang show, like Sense of Anarchy, which is fine. But I think there's other story modes that they can explore. Uh, But they'll always be part of the show. And uh, this is from Dakota Cooner. I think every other question we got is, oh, my God, is Jughead dead? And we got a lot of those. Uh, This is the only one that's not about that. Dakota Cooter says, how can the students at Stonewall Prep get away with anything? It's starting to piss me off. Angry face. Uh, How do you feel about the Stonewall Prep storyline so far, Justin? I mean, I'm into it. I'm into where it's going to go. It does feel like it's very surface. Mm -hmm. It's like um, sort of a... Uh, Dead Poet Society, like if you someone summarized it in like three minutes, it's sort of what we're doing there. But I do think they're getting away with it because I think uh, we mentioned it. There's going to be more of a conspiracy here, and I think Mr. Chipping, along with Mr. Honey, are are playing dual roles of being involved in something fucked up. I would love if they were connected in some way. At the very least, hiring Sam Witwer to play uh, Mr. Chipping. You don't just do that so he can walk into a room and be like, okay, kids, here's my writing assignment. See you later. There's something more going on with him. Yeah, that's why I like that theory of that Hiram is the mastermind here. Like Mm -hmm. that would, he hired these two other sociopaths to uh, just roll through and fuck up these kids' lives. Yeah. Before we wrap up, who is the MVP of this episode, Justin? Who's your, who, what character won the episode? I got to give it up for my girl, Veronica. She uh, watched the news, learned a great secret, and then made herself a drink that she then <laughs> used to murder somebody. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's good stuff. That's called a flaming bow right there. Uh, my pick is Tony Topaz. I loved Tony Topaz in this episode. As I mentioned <laughs> earlier, she is the one who made that storyline work. Vanessa Morgan's reactions were so funny throughout. Yes. Uh, I I would not be able to emotionally deal with that storyline in any realistic way if it was not for her. So I, I got to give it up to her. Uh, and I do want to mention. Yeah, I probably, think that's so true. Oh, go ahead, Justin. I, I think that's so true. Like that her wide eyed look at all of the batshit shit that's going on there is is perfect. Yeah. Uh, I do want to mention and I should probably wait until Pete is on. But somebody hit me up about this on Instagram and noted, which I had completely forgotten, the first episode of our podcast, our preview episode, when we did this, when we used to do Betty or Veronica, you know what Pete chose? What? Veronica. In the first episode? In the very first episode. Wow. Yeah. Total betrayal of his Betty all day or every day. Uh, and I think when he is back next week, we're going to let him have it. Yeah, let's really lay into him about that. He'll love it. <laughs> he loves being hoisted on his own petard. Exactly. If you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. Please come on by and we'll chat with you about Riverdale. Justin, what do you want to plug? 
Follow us on Twitter at Riverdale Dark and at Comic Book Live. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at Riverdale After. And I swear I will look this up next time on uh, Facebook at Riverdale After Dark, I assume. Uh, also, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. You can subscribe and comment. Please do comment on Riverdale After Dark on iTunes. It really helps us out a lot. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Android, or the app of your choice. And we'll see you next time after dark. Have a great week, guys. Go out there and eat it to win. <laughs> <laughs>